Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents Evolve, featuring your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin White Turtle Listening. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. The arts and evolving consciousness are how we are bringing that change to the culture at large. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of the times we are in. Your host in helping you evolve is Robin White Turtle Disney who received her Master's in Fine Arts from Mills College in Creative Writing in 2012 and her Ph.D. in Energy Medicine in 2013. She is an author of three books, the most recent being Heart Path, Learning to Love Yourself and Listening to Your Guides. She has published poetry in many literary journals and numerous anthologies, and her poem First Step was selected for reading by survivors at the Virginia Tech Memorial Bench dedication in April 2010. In addition to her writing, Robin is also an artist whose work has been shown widely throughout the Midwest and East Coast. Robin White Turtle Lisney is a psychic medium and energy medicine practitioner through East West Bookstore in Mountain View, California, through her office in Santa Cruz, California, and across the country by phone. Robin travels across the country as a speaker and leading workshops. To find out more about Robin, you can visit her website at www.thecenterforthesoul.com. So take a breath, relax, and let yourself evolve with your host, Robin White Turtle Listening.
good afternoon. This is your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney, and uh, we have a really wonderful show today. We have, I have a special guest, Teresa Dentino, who is an uh, ancestral strega or Italian wise woman, an earth worker, and an initiated diviner. For more than 20 years, Teresa has studied and practiced in earth-based spiritualities. In 2011, she was initiated as a diviner in a West African tradition. She currently helps others reclaim their personal lineages through her divination work. Teresa is the author of The Strega and the Dreamer, a work of historical fiction based in the true story of her grandparents, uh, based on the true story of her grandparents in Ode to Minoa and stories they believe now exploring the life of a snake priestess in Bronze Age Crete and welcoming Lilith, awakening welcome, uh, awakening and welcoming pure fem- uh, female power. For more on Teresa or her work, you can visit her website, thestregaanddreamer.com or ritualgoddess.com. Welcome, Teresa. I'm so glad to have you with me today. Thank you, Robin. It's really fun to be here. Yeah. Well, we have an exciting show lined up today because uh, we're going to be talking about um, all kinds of things, including divination and what's a strega and all all kinds of things. Um, so, Teresa, did I leave anything out? <laughs> uh, <laughs> in my introduction. Um, I'm, te- I'm teaching a class starting in January. Anybody who lives up in Sonoma County might be uh-huh. interested in that. So that's that's one more thing. Uh-huh. Great, great. Okay, so let's begin by just talking about the word strega, because that's an interesting, it seems like an Italian word, right? It is Italian word. The literal translation is witch or um, screech owl, oh. but it means um, medicine woman. The, the strega, that's the plural um, for strega. There were also male male members of this uh, lineage. They were called stregone. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, they were the medis- village medicine people. So... Um, uh-huh. This, the strega that my gra- my great grandmother, who was a strega, she immigrated um, to New Hampshire in the well in 1899. But mm-hmm. she was the strega of her village, and uh, that in her time that meant she was the midwife and an herbalist, and um, you know she held the sacred space um, for her community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, so then uh, you wrote a book about this, uh, Strega and the Dreamer. Can you tell us a little little about your book? Yes. Are are you hearing me okay? I hear you just fine. Okay, because you were cutting up a little. Um, Yes, the Strega and the Dreamer um, arose because I wanted to really try to understand who my great-grandmother was because I had been told all my life that my great-grandmother was a Strega. But when she when she immigrated to New Hampshire, um, the lineage kind of got lost for a, a couple generations in my family because of, you know, the um, people wanted to fit in and go with the new ways and become Americans. So they left a lot of the old ways behind. So I wanted to find out who my great-grandmother was and try to really connect in with this lineage that I was born into. 
in the Italian tradition, the uh, medicine lineages are very much family lineages. And so I wrote the book to try to really understand who she was and what had happened and to kind of get to know her. And the dreamer is my great-grandfather. He's the one who had the dream of America. And um, so half of it is, is a story of what it was like for the men who came over. He came over, and it took him eight years to be able to bring his family over. And so the story takes partly in Italy, and then it has him leave and come to America and shows his um, struggle when he was here. He worked on the railroads, and he worked in the quarries, and it was a very difficult um, time for those men who came over and did this work. And then she stays in the village, continuing her straggle life until he calls for her. And then the last part of the novel is her coming to New Hampshire, and she happened to come to New Hampshire just as midwifery was being systematically eliminated, mm. and so that sets up a lot of tension in the end part of the book where she's trying to hold on to her straightaways, but she, she it's really almost impossible because she's just becoming really old-fashioned in everyone's eyes and, and, and illegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Well, you have a lot in common with me because my great-great-great-grandmother was a midwife in Norway in the 1820s, and um, I wrote a book <laughs> that's not actually published yet. I mean, I've not published it yet, but it, I'm in the process of writing a novel about her life, um, which in her life she was um, uh, an official midwife in Norway, and um, the dream of coming to America wasn't really happening yet because this was in the 1820s and 1830s. And um, then she passed away at 29 after six children and three losses of her children and eight years of midwifery service. Um, she she died at a very young age. And then it was her children and her oldest son that charged and went came to America. So, in my story, her money money that she she made during her first really official kind of work as a a, a legitimate in a legitimate profession for women in the 1820s gave the money and the time and the support to her son to come to America, and. Um, so, so we have a lot in common here. <laughs> wow! So, wait, how many generations back was she? You said great, great, great. Yeah, she was the great, great, great. So she was the. It was her son Heinrich who came to America, and he was my great, great grandfather, and uh, came with his wife Kisti from the same village. They were from the same village, um, Kisti Mu, uh, they say, and over Kisti Mu. <laughs> And uh, she, so that the two of them came over together with a family they'd already started there, and then they settled in eventually in northern Wisconsin, and so um, oh. uh, they came came through the Great Lakes, so in uh, and uh, offloaded in Chicago, and we're in Chicago for a year, and, and 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 ironically, they didn't like the gangs, and they didn't like all of the uh, the prejudice, and so they decided. You know, because in that time there wasn't African racism as much as there was 
uh, whoever the new guy was was kind of prejudiced against, you know, they were prejudiced against whoever the new people were. And in their case, it was the Norwegians that were influxing at that time. So they were, you know, less than, they got the cheap, cheapest jobs. It's the same story of immigration today, just uh, 150 years ago. <laughs> yes, so it they, is. Yeah, so they left and went to the country, and that's um, they ended up in northern Wisconsin and then raised their children there. And, and it actually had a really strong relationship with the Native people, um, which is another whole novel that my my someday will write to. So. Um, but anyway, I want to get back to your work because uh, you also do African divination. Can you talk about divination and what that is for those listeners that aren't uh, familiar with that? Uh, yeah, well, first I just I wanted to know, if did the midwifery get um, passed down in your family? I know. Um, uh, she, when her daughter-in-law came over here, history we don't really know uh, what happened but I, I i do think the names are passed down and uh and then my grandfather uh, was uh, born heinrich was the he, they had several sons and one of their sons was my great grandfather and my grandfather was born now. my grandfather was a, a chiropractor in a um, he had a really healing him, and he was at a vision, so he was really interested in physics. Um, so, and I grew up with them, and they wonderful. Uh, so indirectly, I mean, it was kind of skipped a couple generations, and but not midwifery particularly. Uh, healing, yes. So, mm-hmm. Yes, well, that's kind of what I meant, but. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, um, well, anyway, maybe it'll come up later about the ancient Norse uh, diviners. You know, <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. But I will. T- I'll bring that up later because that's gonna. That also must be of very big interest to you. Well, um, I I actually because of the the Christian influence in Norway, a lot of the pagan ways were integrated into Christian ways. So. There isn't a lot of information that I've been able to glean from my family about divination. But why don't we just switch to divination and then we'll come back to the Norwegian ideas okay. here. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so you asked me what, you had asked me what is divination? Yeah, if you could explain a little bit right. to our listeners that aren't familiar with it, what it is. Right. So this is, a, yeah, it's always a tricky um question to answer so I'm gonna I'm gonna um try to take it slow. I believe divination is um one of the most ancient art forms on the planet. And um for me what divination is is it's a time to connect with um beings or spirits or guides or entities, however you want to however you consider it, beings that are in other dimensions. Uh, beings that don't have physical embodiment um, in the way that we think of it. It's a way to connect with them and check in with them and get their perspective on how things are going here. Uh And the beautiful thing about divination is that because they're in another dimension and they have another point of view, they can um, let us know about things we wouldn't otherwise know about. 
Uh-huh. And so one example um, to kind of illustrate what this means is one of the realms you can have access to through divination is the ancestral realm. Uh-huh. And um, if you believe that the ancestral realm is important, um, then it can affect your current life. So anything that's not healthy or was, was left sort of unmetabolized, possibly in one of your ancestors' lives, could be affecting your life now. And through divination, you can that can be revealed to you. And um, the kind of divination I do is called prescriptive. So you're, you may be given rituals to do to help heal any um, energies that need healing in the ancestral realm. And then that the belief is that then that will bring relief and greater ease to your current life and your descendants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah. Love, I, I, I um, have to say that I did have a session with you at one time, and uh, the rituals were so helpful. They They helped me... At the time, I was trying to ground in a place that felt like a whole new place and having challenges with that, among other things. And um, I followed all of the rituals and did them, and they really helped me a lot. So uh, I was really oh, excited about it. Oh, I'm so happy it. to hear that. That's awesome <laughs> to hear. It's always nice yeah. to hear that it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the beautiful thing about... Um, for me, the beautiful thing about this form of divination that I was lucky enough to be initiated into is that it works with the elemental beings. And the elemental beings, to me, are just pure magicians and little geniuses. And they seem, they just know sometimes, um, they seem to know exactly what needs to be done to, like, open and release energy or, you know, whatever the person's needing from their point of view. And they give you these rituals that just, I have found, really open a whole world almost when you do them. And sometimes they can lead you through a process of healing, or sometimes it can be more simple, just a simple offering can be the healing. But I find them to to be very, um, yeah, very magical as well. Right. So I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah, and and I think that, um, you know, in my own personal work, uh, not so much with clients, but in my personal work um, with my own self, um, rituals have been an important part of my life for a long time. Um, my first book was on ritual, Dancing Up the Moon. And uh, uh, so, so for many, many years, I found them as na- a natural way for me to feel connected to the earth and to... Uh, greater universe and uh, the, the the spirits of um, nature really help you. I mean, if you if you get tuned into them, they're really they're very supportive and they do nothing but help. <laughs> so I'm so grateful for them. Yeah. And, uh, well, so because a- they're anything that um, we can do to heal ourselves, ultimately, I believe, will heal Earth, and that their ulterior motive. <laughs> That's what I believe. Yeah. So, yes. you know, they, ha- they yeah. have an, um, an investment in this. You know, they have an investment in people coming to divination and carrying out healings and 
lots of the rituals that come through in people's divinations are healings for the land as well. So, um, you know, it 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 really is um, everybody kind of trying to do their part to get things a little more cleaned up here on Gaia. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I know what the place was had moved into had a lot of very heavy energy in it because there had been a death uh, in the family there and um, a young man uh, who had passed away. And then there was a lot of heavy energy on the property. And while the apartment felt pretty clear, that the uh, the heaviness uh, was really difficult. And so I did the rituals and then, you know, cleaned my place out really well with sage. <laughs> And you know that my landlord moved out. They were living upstairs, and uh, they ended up she ended up moving in with her partner, and the whole family moved out, and I ended up having the place itself. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> we don't ever really know what what the healing is going to look like. <laughs> wow. It was healing for the family to leave that space because that's where their father had died and the boys were young. And, you know, it's it's uh, young when he passed away. And so all the heaviness of the grief and of them being alone without him and all that was still stuck there. So all of that got moved, and she moved in with a new partner. And, the, you know, the kids had a, had somebody that was a male figure in their life. And so it actually worked really well for everybody. It wasn't well, I yeah. was push, well, pushing that's them amazing. out or anything. Yeah. No, no, it's more, it's more about um, there's a lot of stuck energy, you know, hanging around um, that, that can be making trouble, you know, and, and – it's not necessarily that it's something bad or evil. It's just kind of stuck. And so yes. we all, I mean, any of us who do ritual know that's one of the main reasons why you carry out ritual. You're trying to move energy and participate right. with energies. Right. And um, so, yeah, so that that's great. Well, that I've since moved from that area, and I'm in a new little cabana, a little place um, the house now and really moved on and I think the whole thing has been a good thing for them you know and I mm-hmm. know that the that I did in relation to our divination that you did you did with me allowed me to um to help them move you know to help them move on because it was quite a quagmire initially when I got there and at no fault of their own it the way it was. So, so we kind of touched on how divination helps to heal the earth just by that example. Mm-hmm. Do you have more to say say about the divination that you you're doing, the prescriptive kind of divination? Because I mean, there's all kinds of t- divination. There's tarot cards. There's runes. There's you know tons of different ways that we can get answers from our unconscious or from the greater universe. Um, but I love the idea of the earth. That's a very important topic to me, of course. <laughs> well, and also with the work you do. I mean, I would say the main thing a diviner of any kind does, uh, the, for me, my main job is to listen. And, yeah. um, right? Like, and so... Right. Listening, deep listening in itself is a very healing um, 
to give anyone or anything. And if so, if if we go into a divination and the earth shows up, you know, and, and asks for something or says, hey, you know, this place over here is really needing some some attention, um, go, li- go listen to it, you know, or here's what it needs. Go over there and, and essentially um, there's just so much healing in that and it, it seems to me that um, this was something, you know, if this is something indigenous people have always done and it's something all of our ancestors did more readily because they lived so closely to the land and on the earth and it you know there just wasn't this natural separation that we've created in our m- modern lives so to really step back into a place of really deeply listening to the earth and the elementals who for me you know they are the mediators between the earth and the humans if we can listen to them um that is just so healing for us and the earth for this um in general, but also because of the divide that our modern lives have created. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So just getting quiet and listening. Um, but then uh, there is a component to my work, which um, and I think that I, this is more from my Strega lineage, I would say, or the European um, part of, you know, I, so I, call my, I say that I have a double lineage. So I have the Strega lineage, and I have this um, dagger of divination that I was gifted um, through the initiate, initiation process. But also, once I started to really work deeply with um, my great-grandmother and, um, and this divination system, I began to try to go out more on the land and really listen. And that's when I, I found kind of a, a whole new component to my work, which is, I really, I maintaining places, like being a steward of the land, a spiritual steward of the land, and making friends with certain mountains and the trees in certain places, and making it um, a daily meditation to go to one of these places and listen and tend to it. And um, that's some, I believe, a really big piece of work that the planet would really like back. They would like more spiritual stewards out on the land, listening to the water, listening to the trees. Um, so that's another really big, important component to my work. I feel strongly I couldn't do the work I'm doing. I couldn't do the divination work and the healing work I'm doing without this supportive system of my local ecosystem. And um, for me, that's been a, a really kind of big discovery in the past, let's say, Six years. I totally understand what you're saying. From my perspective, you know, I had the my kind of double lineage comes from my ancestors, but also comes from the Native American Lakota tradition and the Anishinaabe traditions. And my connection with the land has everything to do with the healing work I do because I can call on different levels of spirits to help a person. And uh, so I totally understand. And if I didn't know about those nature spirits through Umbanda or through the Afro-Brazilian traditions or through the through the Lakota tradition, I wouldn't have the, the context uh, to feel into um, 
what is needed because the earth is like this huge healing being that we're all looking on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, as, as you know, and she's just so willing to help um, that I, I just find it amazing uh, what's available. And, and in our culture, because it's so busy and everybody's running around, we've kind of forgotten about it. And uh, so... I understand totally what you're saying. Uh, We're going to take a little break and come back. And um, I'm here today with Teresa Dintino, uh, who's a strega, Italian wise woman, and a diviner in the uh, Dagra tradition for over 20 years. So we're we're having a great conversation, and we'll be right back. This is uh, Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, Blog Talk Radio, and I'm Robin Lisney, your host, and we're on the show Evolve. Radio's Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. And my guest today is Teresa Dentino, and she's an ancestral strega and a diviner, and she's been doing this work for more than 20 years uh, and practicing earth-based spiritualities. She was initiated into the West African uh, tradition of the Dagara people. So, Teresa, I want to talk to you more about that because I found what you did, of course, we did it long distance, so I didn't get to sit with you and watch you um, do what you do. But can you describe a little uh, more about your Oh, right. Work? You didn't get to see it. That's the bummer because no. you didn't get to see my hat. <laughs> <laughs> you have a hat you wear. Right. So, um, yeah, this, this form of divination can be hard to describe, but it is stick divination. Um, when you do stick divination in this tradition, you... Um, you get merged with an elemental being of the wild, and they're called the Wedeme in the Daigara tradition, and um, as opposed to the elemental beings of the water. So they split it into the elemental beings of the wild, meaning the earth and the four-legged and 
inside the earth and the telluric realm and the elemental beings of the water. So I got merged, uh, meaning my consciousness got was united with um, three elemental beings of the wild, and I do stick divination, and I actually have a pretty big stick, not a small stick, it's a stick that both me and the person receiving the divination, if they're able to be in the room with me, I did Robin's remotely for her, <laughs> um, hold the stick, so it's, you know it's a good size stick, and then I have a kit, it's called a kit, and it has all these... Um, what pieces in it so they they essentially they can be anything but a lot of them are natural objects and each one either represents an archetypal energy of this tradition or they represent a healing journey that someone who has come for a divination and experienced the healing has then returned and put in my kit so i have all this kit of let's just call them objects but they really are alive entities that are sitting beside me and the stick, and the stick chooses which one of those want to speak to the person who has come for divination that day. And then each piece um, comes in and has something to say. So that's kind of like the basic format of the stick divination, but it's always different for everyone. Do you have a, do you do it on a, like a, a like a, a medicine wheel or like a for, place for the four directions? I mean, do you throw these sticks? Like I know in Umbanda and the Condomble traditions and the Afro-Brazilian traditions, they uh, have cowrie shells and they throw the cowries over um, a medicine wheel or and then they land in different places up or down and that tells them things. So that's... Right. That's the form they use, but do you, do you toss these sticks, or or is the big no, stick? No, this is, <clears throat> right, that's what I thought. The first time I went for a stick divination, that's how I imagined it was going to be as well, but in fact, it's not. Um, I have one stick, and it's a large stick, like from a branch of a tree, and I hold that stick, and I that's why I call this tree medicine, because uh, for me, I believe after I invoke, and um, the Weta may have come to be with me for to do this divination because it's really them who are doing it. I'm I'm like a translator, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to what they're telling me and and trying to language that to the person sitting in front of me. Which for me, that's the trickiest part of divination is trying to really hear what they're saying and translate it appropriately. Um, so my stick after I invoke. I my stick kind of becomes the way I see. So I begin to see with and through the stick, which I believe means I'm connecting to the world tree. Now, every every person who does stick divination is not going to agree with my assessment and description, but this is what happens for me. So I connect into this nine-dimensional world tree, and I'm able to see and I don't, um, the pieces are just sitting beside me. There's, I don't throw them onto anything, and I, I don't work with a medicine wheel. It's simply that the stick then picks some pieces that want to speak to the person. And uh-huh. and then I listen, I listen to the pieces because they, they're, like I said, they're alive. They're entities, and they, they tell me uh-huh. uh, things that the person needs to know. Um, but I do also use cowrie shells, and um, the reason why I use cowrie shells in this tradition is to 
um, check myself. So let's say I'm getting, I think I'm getting some information, but I want to make sure I'm hearing the Wetame correctly. So I use the cowrie shells to confirm that I'm hearing them correctly. Uh-huh. So um, it, ha- it has its own kind of check and balance built into this divination system, which I also really appreciate because um, they show me a lot of images and a lot of pictures and if I'm in my own way, I could be projecting my own ideas onto what those mean. But since I have the cowrie shells, I'll say, are you trying to tell me that that horse over there means um, this person needs to buy a horse? Let's say. <laughs> and they'll say, no, no, that's not what we're saying at all. I'm like, oh, okay. you know. So I'm very thankful to have the a way to check my own <laughs> interpretations of what is being said to me. Yeah. And and they 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 will they will make sure I get it right. They are very um, precise and articulate in what they're trying to communicate to the person, and I love that about them. I mean, even down to words I can use. They won't even let me say certain words a lot of times. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. I love that. I find that too um, when I channel and do mediumistic work. Um, mm-hmm. That. The, the spirits are very specific. Like the images I get are very specific, and if because I do, I see images often when I'm reading, and and then what happens is like uh, if I if I'm mi- misinterpreting, I will get like a, I get it more viscerally. Like I'll get a tap on the shoulder, or I'll get, <laughs> you know, like they'll say no, no, no. <laughs> I actually so, hear like a, mm, like oh my goodness, what's <laughs> wrong answer? <laughs> no, not that. No. Don't say that. No. <laughs> so they have their own little buzzer for you. <laughs> it's like the gong show or something. Yeah. Which again I'm thankful for. I'm like, please, you know, I mean I don't wanna I don't wanna give information they're not meaning to give and um and also yeah, I I, I think that, that well that's what makes me feel like, you know, makes me trust it as well. Right, right. I mean, Corrections come, and you know, and you're like, no, you didn't get that quite right. Try again. So, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <clears throat> it's important. Well, it, um, it it is important because you don't want to lead people astray with your readings, and you want to be sure that they get exactly what they're needing. Um, so again, that's really important. Um, do you? So you see it as a healing art as well, then the divination, I imagine, because it. I totally see see this as a healing art. Yeah. I mean, especially with the ritual. Well, first of all, there's a lot of components. I feel that just simply a person deciding they need to come and get a divination means somebody somewhere in their pantheon of beings that are around them has tapped them on the shoulder and said, listen, I'm trying to talk to you. Go over there and so I can get the message. So that's already started some kind of healing process in the person. And then um, when they come, you know, and they, and they, and the wedding may get to tell them what they, what they're seeing as issues that need addressing um, and they're given rituals to do. Those rituals are all for healing. I mean, it's all about healing. That's, that's what it is uh, in my opinion. And, but also the divination space itself, I feel is a very healing space because when I when you invoke and you you must know from your work you, you call in a lot of guides and mm-hmm. you call in a lot of help and so they, and they come it's not that you're just what are you not just 
calling for no reason. I mean, they come when you call them, and they're in the room. And that's very healing. And a lot of times in the divinations, um, people are asked to do things right on the spot for healing, like maybe talk to an ancestor that they maybe left things not so happy with or they have something to say to them. Say it, you know, and, and a lot of healing can get done right in the divination space. And so I believe it's a completely a, a healing art, yeah, very much so. Well, and divination, like earth-based tradition in general, are, are based more not so much on belief as experience. So when I when I know um, when I'm too really tuned in, like when I've done sweat lodges in the past and so on, and lead, led them, what I find that the spirits are working through me, but they're also like really helping. Uh, through people's experiences. So they're connecting with everybody in the lodge, you know, and they're helping to kind of get the lodge, the healing that they need. People have their own experiences in there that kind of transcend belief, don't you think? Or do you experience that? Yeah. Oh, I totally do. I mean, I don't, yes. I mean, the only, well, you don't, I guess you don't even, I mean, I guess you might want to believe that there actually are beings in the other dimensions that might help a little bit, but um, <laughs> but I guess maybe you don't have to. But um, I think you're right. I think it's it's a totally experiential, and the the whole thing that we were talking about earlier about moving energy, you know, like a lot of the a lot of the rituals are to try to help this person move a certain energy either in their body, in their psyche, in their ancestry realm or um to to start to have an experience with beings in other dimensions um so they might want to help them open a portal with a tree by saying hey go make an offering to this tree you know and so it's in that way they might find that the tree responds which uh-huh. typically i notice i mean i guess that the ultimate um goal is to get a response when we do a ritual and um so but it doesn't matter what you believe because uh, i just think that that's all human constructs and that the beings in the other dimensions don't have those right if, if that's what you meant yeah and so you you're it's direct experience and that's another thing that i really love about um this work and this form of divination is it puts it in your hands, you know, you this is up and they're saying if you go do this it will help but you have to go do it and, and then you have a direct experience and that's your experience. That's nobody else's belief. That happened to you and if you want to deepen it you have the option to deepen it by continuing. Nothing in my opinion can replace um direct experience. Right. Right. And I, I agree with you. Uh, I've found that um, so many times it doesn't matter what people's background religion is, like if they're Catholic or Jewish or Hindu or whatever, when they come into direct contact with the divine through nature or through divination or through different just being, just you know, sitting and being, um, that, that their transformation there, there's a huge transformation that sometimes happens with people because it's like, oh, that's it. I see. That's what I've been believing all this time, but here it is, you know. So there's a whole different um, uh, 
reality that that actually breaks open with experience, direct experience, as opposed to right. you know belief systems that that lock and, you into yeah. Kind of a, yeah. One of the main things people say is this is so validating, you know, uh-huh. because uh-huh. they'll come in for a divination and I'll see something that they they have felt with them all their life or they've known about, but you know they didn't. So, and then I see it, you know, so it's very validating. And also going and doing the work and getting a response is very validating, especially in a world where this, you know, a lot of times people can think you're crazy for having these beliefs and, you know, it's it's just so secular. Um, But I also, I mean, they, all kinds of traditions and beings and, come into divination. I mean, there is absolutely no discrimination for who's welcome into uh-huh. a divination. I'm, I've had, I've had archangels. I've had Jesus. I've had Mary. I've had, um, I mean, just it doesn't matter. It's what the person believes in. Who is with the person? That's who comes with them. And you know, uh-huh. that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's fascinating for me to see the overlap in the belief system. So if I'm, let's say I'm holding a piece in my hand that in the Dagger tradition is a certain, represents a certain entity in their tradition, and then an entity comes in like from mythology, you know? Right. And it's the same entity. It's the same, like, oh, look, over here they call you that. Over here they call you this. It's the same. It's that, and I just, I just adore that because it just shows how you know, it's it's kind of more what we project onto these beings is how they show up, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. know, it, how we see them. But it's uh-huh. the same energy vibration that they're carrying. Uh-huh. So they, you know, it's kind of like just people in all different cultures wear all different kinds of things. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and I love that. I love it too. I, what the spirits tell me all the time when I'm channeling or doing work, or they'll come in. Like last night, I had a meditation, and they came through and they gave information to people. And, and what they often say is, um, you know, we work together over here. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what religious channel you come through; that they, the spirits, all work together, and um, the different pantheons from Egypt and Mesopotamia and Africa and and uh, Christianity all of the different ones they and Judaism they all work together on the other side they don't there's they don't discriminate we're the ones who discriminate so uh i think it's really fascinating yeah. right but there are there are different lineages um so yes. and and that's fascinating because there are a lot of people who come for divination who I can see that they're from a medicine lineage. And um, a lot of times when, let's say it's a great-grandmother who's trying to pass a secret teaching to this person about their lineage, I'll get like this, I'll get this like, this is not for you. You're not allowed to use this. This is for them. And so in that way, it's also fascinating because some of the secrets that want to get given back to the descendants of these medicine people, uh, they do want them still held within that lineage, and they don't. You know, I'm just, I'm just the messenger girl, so uh-huh. I have to assure them that, you know, I'm not going to go do this now because 
I heard this person get it. And I find that fascinating as well. Yeah, I, I, I find that fascinating too. So we're going to take a little break, and we'll come right back. And I'm here with my guest, Teresa Dentino, who's a estrega, an Italian wise woman, and, and uh, a diviner in the Dagra tradition. And we'll be right back. Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve. Hi, I'm Robin White Turtle Lisney, and I'm your host on Evolve. I wanted to share with you a few of the things that I'm doing beside the radio show. Uh, you can always go to my website, www.thecenterforthesoul.com, and that is uh, www.thecenterforthesoul.com, and you can learn about all the things that I offer, including readings, healing work, uh, I'm a medium, a psychic. Uh, I'm also an artist and an author. You can check out my books. The most recent ones are called Poems for the Lost Deer, and the other is called Heart Path Handbook and Energy Medicine Guide. Uh, both these books have been published this year in 2014. So I just wanted to share that with you, and now we'll go back to the show. Hi, this is Robin White Turtle listening, and I'm here with Teresa Dentino, and she's a West African diviner in the Dagra tradition, and also uh, an ancestral strega, and um, a strega is a wise woman in the Italian tradition. So I wanted to talk a little more about writing in and the books that you've written, because you've taken some of the, the things that you know about from your grandmother and uh, from different traditions. I love that you studied in Manoa. I mean, that you studied the Minoan traditions. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. more about your writing and books and divination and the intersection of all that stuff? Mm. Well, um, yes, I've been a writer for, oh, my goodness, a lot of years since I went to college. <laughs> And um, my first two novels are based in Minoan Crete, and they're about a snake priestess. Um, and the first one, Ode to Minoa, is, uh, I guess you might call it a coming-of-age story for this girl in this culture who is chosen by the snake goddess to be one of her priestesses. And um, I wrote that book because I really wanted to understand what it must have been like to grow up in a culture that worshipped the goddess and uh-huh. as a woman. And so for me, you know, my writing process often is that I I write to try to understand something and to try to really feel something. And so I do a lot of research and then kind of wait for the story to show itself to me. And um, I find that um, that has helped me in my divination work in that I really, again, it's a process of listening. Uh So I see it as like kind of filling myself up with all this information about Minoan Crete and the remains and what they found there and just kind of like 
stuffing myself with all this data. And then I kind of <laughs> let it turn, you know, it's kind of feel like shoving it in, shove it in, shove it in until I can't take anymore and then wait for it to turn into a story. And uh-huh. so that's, that's kind of how I go about my writing process. And uh-huh. it's worked, it's worked for me, but I, uh-huh. I think it really has helped me in my later years, you know, as I, when I became a diviner, I kind of knew how to take in all this data and then try to hear, well, well, well what's what, you know, what are you uh-huh. saying about this? What does this mean? What, um, and, but also it's kind of intriguing because my first, my, my Crete novels are both about a snake priestess who is in essence a diviner, a priestess diviner. And I had oh, no idea okay. that later, yeah, <laughs> that later I would be called to become a diviner. I mean, it was not on my radar at all. And I only uh-huh. realized, you know, when I, after I became a diviner and even was divining for a while, I went back and looked at my two Crete books. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <What the heck? laughs> that's weird. How did that happen? <laughs> now, it's, it's it's so interesting to me because listening to you talk about the process of writing is very similar to my process of writing, especially novels. You know, like um, that's how I started writing that story of my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. I just wanted to know what her life was like. You know, like I'd, I'd been to Norway and the first thing that they told me when I got off the the boat was, uh, well, do you know, you know about your grandmother, right? And I was like, like no. Like, my oh, my God. Your son, your son was, um, he, your, her son, my great-great-grandfather, was illegitimate. And that was, they've been talking about that for 150 years. And I thought oh that was God. so so interesting. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And oh, I see that. You know, what is this word in the in the in the big book there? And they said, oh, that's a midwife. She was a midwife. She was an official midwife. And I was like, well, that to me is so interesting <laughs> that she was a midwife and she had a child out of wedlock. But and then as I started reaching researching it, what I found is that. Um, that was quite common, actually. Children out of wedlock, because weddings were really expensive, a lot of times couples would get together, and as long as they were committed, they could have a couple kids before they had the wedding. And so so it was really quite common. But So then that started getting my wheels turning, like, what was her story? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's how I started writing the novel, to kind of find out, you know, so... So our processes are really similar, and and I well in a way also, that's yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, I that's, think it's it's, it's a form combining. of invocation. I mean, you're we're yeah. we're, you know, we're calling these ancestors up when we're doing that. We're trying, to, you know, we're we're calling on them, and and guess what? They show up. You know, yeah. like that's yeah. what I was saying about when you're invoking, and it's the same for these. Um, priestesses in Crete, I mean, the, they were real women. They were alive. They actually existed, you know, in Crete at a certain time. And so my digging around and who were you? Who are you? Tell me your story. I mean, I, we're invoking them when we do that. And yeah. so if it goes really well, they're standing in the room with you. Like, okay, here's my story. And right. it, I mean, that for me is the bliss of writing fiction. I just love that, that the character's you know, become alive and you're interacting with them and they become so real to you and, you know, it's it's a trauma to end the book. Yes. 
<laughs> it is sometimes. I mean, I think that's why I haven't finished my novel because I don't. I kind of hate to leave her. Like uh, I hate to leave the story, you know. Um, so I, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, one question I have for you is: um, How do you believe? Do you believe that healing is accomplished through your writing when you're writing? Um, do you find? Um, <clears throat> that you get healed while you do the writing? Yeah, well, writing's such an interesting process, which you know and anyone who else who writes. It's so fascinating because there's the writing process. So you're writing, and yes, I think that's extremely healing for um, for the person who is writing, and also I feel for all the untold stories on Earth. So I think it's just, it's even healing just in the etheric realm to pull through a story that hasn't been heard or that wants to be heard. So I feel like that's all very healing. But then there's this strange thing that happens when you publish your book and people start reading it because that's a whole different healing experience because people bring to bring themselves to a book. And when they're reading the book, you know, they have their own interaction with the material based on who they are and everything that they know. And so sometimes people people will tell me the experience they had reading one of my books, which I'll be like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that's a whole different experience I had writing the book, but that's a, because that's a whole different experience, reading a book right. Right. and writing right. a book. And it took me a while to get used to that. It was a bit jarring when my first novel was published. I was like, wow, what? That's what you thought that was? But then I understood that. <laughs> Then I understood that, well, yes, because that's they're going to have their process as reader. You had your yeah. process as writer. It is not the same thing. And um, it's, it's um, but that's the intersection, I believe, that the writer is really ultimately going for when they're writing. They're trying to communicate something to an unknown reader. And it's, uh-huh. it's really a fascinating thing to think about because we don't really know who reads our books. I mean, you know some of the people, but ultimately you don't know who's going to read it when you're writing it. So yeah. you're writing, you know, to like this person you never met, and yeah. it's beautiful when the communication works. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I know. I love it when that happens. I, I've, I've written, um, you know, other books, mostly how-to books and things, and then I have a poetry book, and I've noticed that when people read the poetry book, they're like, uh, they're kind of, they're shocked, a little shocked, because the book is about uh, an incident that occurred in Marin County, an actual incident that, that happened through the National Park Service, where they eliminated all the axis and fallow deer in the National uh, Seashore, and um, they were like sacred deer to me. <laughs> and so I had to write this book about like, what happened and how did they get to this and the clashes in consciousness and all this and and so it's it's really interesting like how the book helped me but what what I was hoping it would do is help heal the people up there because it was such a huge awful thing that happened and um mm-hmm. and what I found is that a lot of people don't want to go back into it they don't want to deal with it so a few mm-hmm. people that have read the book that are up there are like oh thank you for writing this but other people are like i don't think i even want to go there again you know like they don't want to relive oh. it or that it, it isn't healing for them it isn't somehow it, so that was that was interesting because it certainly was healing for me um to write it but 
we'll see what happens. I mean, it's just getting out in the world. It's just fascinating to have different reactions, you know. So Right, and, and it might need a different audience for the, you know, for that, like the people that weren't there, maybe. Right, right, right. And, I, you know, I find that people that are dealing with similar kind of things in other places where National Park Services are eliminating species or managing species, that they can relate to it almost more easily than the people that were actually lived through it. You know, for them, it's too close to the quick, you know. So, um, oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. So, well, we have so much more that we could talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have to. I have to have you on for another show. We could talk more about the African traditions because I've had experiences with Afro-Brazilian traditions that are a little different than um, the direct African Dagara tradition that you've been involved in. Um, but there's there's so much more that we could talk about here. Uh, right, we'll because I still didn't on. tell you about the North priestess diviners. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Norse priestess. So talk to me about that for a little bit, and then we'll close on that. Yeah, that. well, I have to just, I'll try to think of how I can just, um, well, and so this, just to put a plug in for the book I'm writing and almost finished writing, which is about uh-huh. priestess diviners through time, because I became really um, fast, you know, almost obsessed with this divination and how women carried it for so long, and I'm trying to find it in all different cultures, and actually I am. And one of the cultures that I found it in is um, the Norse tradition in Europe. And um, there's a wonderful book written by Ralph Metzner called The Well of Remembrance, which you might want to check out, Robin. And he talks about these ancient priestess diviners in the Norse tradition who were, um, the singular word is vulva, I mean, okay, right? And the the plural word (laughs) is volor. And they were these women that um, were known for their divination skills, their powerful divination skills. And they walked around with a stick. And um, the word volor and vulva actually means wand web, which, you know, it just felt so resonant with the kind of divination I do because you're merged with this stick, basically, this stick medicine, and they um they would they would walk around in groups of nine or thirteen and go from town to town and do their divinations, which um it sounds like they would sing their invocations were songs they would sing, and then one of them would speak her divination, and they would speak the divination in the form of verse, and the thing that's like the ultimate um the climax I'm leading up to here is that a lot of their divinations actually have come down to us as very famous myths. And one of them is called the Volutsa, which is the song of the vulva. And from that divination, Norse mythology came, or a lot of it. Oh, really? And that Norse, yeah, I get shivers. And Norse mythology is what gave us um, Wagner's Ring Cycle of Operas, if anybody's seen those. Brunhilde, uh, and yeah. and Lord of the Rings, and so on, and so on, and so on. Wow. So the power of divination on this planet is huge. You know, uh-huh. if divination actually possibly created our mythology, that's still really, you know, we're still really embedded in these stories. 
and it came from divinations. For me, that's that's a big wow. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, I would love to talk more with you about that, uh, The Well of Remembrance by Ralph Metzner. I'm certainly familiar with his work, so I'll have to uh, I'll have to read that book. So thank yes, you. And you, so you could, so yeah. what's, the, what's the title of your new book here? Do you have a title yet, the one you're writing? Yes. Um, the new book is called The Amazon Pattern, and then the subtitle is Mes- Messages from Ancient divine, Priestess Diviners of Trees and Time. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned Great. the velour in that as um, part the part that's talking about divination through the ages mm-hmm. and, um, and how that's, you know, the importance that that has had on our culture and us as humans. So Amazon Pattern, Priestess Diviners. The Amazon divine- Pattern. The Amazon pattern, uh-huh. And it's the priestess diviners of trees, and what was the last word you said? Time. And time. Trees uh-huh. and, of trees and time. They were, I have a whole um, theory that I talk about in the book that these women were priestesses of trees and time, and through their divination, which was, you know, um, they worked with the trees and time to carry out their work to send us a message. Wow, wow, wow. How cool. Oh, well, (laughs) we're going to have to get together again, and I want to read your books. So where are your books available? And I want to also make sure you tell us about your websites, and then we'll we'll say goodbye today. Okay. Um, Okay, so, well, first of all, thank you so much, Robin, for having me on the show. It's been really fun. It has. I knew it would be. so my books, uh, if you live anywhere near Sebastopol, California, um, they're available at Many Rivers Books and Tea, which is a lovely spiritual bookstore in town. They're also available on Amazon and other on- online bookstores, and they are available through both of my websites, one of which is thestregaandthedreamer.com, and the second is ritualgoddess.com. And I blog um, pretty regularly on Ritual Goddess about a lot of the things I've been talking about today, about divination, priestess diviners through time, time, trees. So if you're interested, you might want to check out um, ritualgoddess.com. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been just delightful talking to you, and I hope you have a a good winter solstice holiday this year. And um, thanks so much, Teresa Dentino. I've been talking to her today. She is a diviner in the Dagara tradition and an ancestral strega, or an Italian wise woman. She has a number of books, which she just mentioned, and she helps uh, does readings, helps people reclaim their personal lineages through their through her divination work. Uh, so look for her books, Estrega and the Dreamer, and uh, Ode to Manoa and Stories They Told Me, and uh, Welcoming Lilith, Awakening, uh, and Welcoming Pure Female Power. So you can find her work on ritualgoddess.com. Teresa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Robin. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.
Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Convergence with John Caracella, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.